Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Backheeled Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and on today's episode, we're diving into a few different topics from around American soccer. Apologies if the room sounds a little echoey. I am recording from a green room in New York right now after the USMNT's 1-1 draw with Mexico on Wednesday evening. We're going to be talking a bit about that game, a bit about a future World Cup that could be coming to the United States, and a bit about MLS all on today's episode. We'll get you in and out in 10 minutes or less because here at Backheeled, that's just what we do. All right, let's not beat around the bush. Let's get to it and talk soccer. We've got a lot to get to today, so let's start with the U.S.'s 1-1 draw last night against Mexico in the first ever Continental Classico that a lot of folks are calling a Cashico, because in a lot of ways, this was a great chance for U.S. soccer to generate some revenue, which is not a bad thing. The quality of soccer on its own was not very good last night. The goal that Mexico scored through Uriel Antuna was a bad series of mistakes, one from Kevin Acosta and one from Aaron Long, and a good finish from Antuna, to be fair. The U.S.'s goal was a really nice sequence. Serginho Dest striving the ball forward and ends up with Jordan Morris on the left side. He hits a Travella assist to Jesus Ferreira for the finish. It was a nice goal, not a game that we really learned a lot from. Caleb Wiley made his debut. We saw some nice moments from Alan Senora off the bench in the second half, but really not a lot to write home about. And I, frankly, put some of that on interim manager Anthony Hudson, who very clearly, with his lineup, was trying to win this game rather than better the U.S. program for the future. Now, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Continuing to have success against Mexico, and the U.S. have had a lot of success against Mexico in recent matches, is a good thing that helps this program moving forward. It establishes productive habits and and expectations for the program. All that stuff is good. In this match, it seemed to me that some of that came at the expense of of seeing players that really could be a part of this group moving forward. Paxton Pomichol, Alan Senora, Aiden Morris, Caleb Wiley, all on the bench in this match. Drake Callender on the bench as well, a promising goalkeeper in MLS for Inter-Miami. We didn't really get to see a ton of those players. Instead, we saw a lot of veterans in the lineup in a 4-2-3-1 from Anthony Hudson, John Johnson, DeAndre Yedlin, Zimmerman, Long, Kellen Acosta, Jordan Morris. Like This was a group that was set out to not get embarrassed by Mexico. The U.S. accomplished that, but at the expense of us learning much really at all about the player pool, Hudson's priorities are, are not to develop this program, nor should they be, right? He's trying to parlay this stint into a bigger job than he's ever had before. Won't be the U.S. job, almost certainly, but into something. So it's not his job to make sure that Caleb Wiley gets a nice run out. It's not his job to make sure that Josh Winder gets five minutes off the bench. It's just not, and I can't really blame him for that. But last night, it struck me that this is a moment where having an interim manager does limit the effectiveness and the value of an exercise like this midweek friendly against Mexico. So that's that's tying a little bow on this 1-1 draw with Mexico. Again, Wednesday night, the U.S. will next take on Mexico in June, in the Nations League. That'll be a fun game in the semifinals of that competition. Let's move on to the world of women's soccer for a minute. Last night, news came down that the United States and Mexico have launched a joint bid to host the 2027 Women's World Cup. Now, this summer's Women's World Cup is going to be hosted in Australia and New Zealand. We've got co-hosts of this year's tournament. We could have co-hosts of the next one as well. This could be incredibly exciting to have two World Cups hosted in the U.S. and in North America in back-to-back years, factoring in the 2026 World Cup, which will be the biggest men's World Cup ever. That's going to be in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Following that tournament up one year later with a Women's World Cup would be, I think, absolutely fantastic for American soccer. I don't know, and this is a fair point I've seen raised by 
Uh, the likes of Caitlin Murray on Twitter, who's an editor for ESPN, does great work over there. I don't know that hosting this World Cup in the U.S. and in this area, along with Mexico, does as much to grow the game, given that the United States has hosted the Women's World Cup in the past. They hosted it in 91 and 99. The United States in this region is already pretty high on women's soccer. And so you don't maybe net as many new fans by hosting the tournament in the U.S. as you would somewhere else. But selfishly, as someone who covers this sport in this country, I think it would be fantastic. I think the crowds would be incredible. I think the atmosphere would be phenomenal. And again, hosting 26 and 27, like back-to-back years, will be something truly special for soccer in this country. I think we'll all be watching closely to see what happens with this bid ahead of bid agreements and official bids and evaluation reports. And eventually, in about a year, in May of 2024, a final vote that will decide this whole thing. South Africa has announced a bid. Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands have announced a joint bid. There's maybe a bid coming out of Brazil. The U.S. and Mexico is not the only bid, of course, coming here for this 2027 Women's World Cup. But again, this is something to monitor over the next year. Finally, let's talk MLS before we close on this episode. Week 9 is coming up on Saturday. We're not doing our full-on preview of every game by ranking each matchup based on how must-watchy it is. We've done that the last couple of weeks. Instead, because there's U.S. news to talk about, we're going to dive in quickly to a couple of recent pieces that I wrote on Backyield.com called What Every MLS Team Needs Before Transfer Deadline Day. I split this out into the Eastern Conference and Western Conference. The primary transfer window closes on Monday. That's April 24th. The secondary window opens up in July. But for teams across the league, this is a good chance to sign a player or two to strengthen their squads ahead of the summer, ahead of more fixture congestion with the Open Cup. A couple of teams to dive into, and I'll stick with the Western Conference. For folks that want to read the rest, again, head over to Backheel.com and subscribe to get access to all of this stuff and much, much more. For the LA Galaxy, I wrote that they need a winger. I've written about their issues a bunch of times this season. I've talked about them on the podcast. They have the bones and the star power of a really quality team but lack difference makers. They lack difference makers in the final third. Ricky Pouge will get the ball there, but once it gets there, it's often a waste for them. I I found this stat. None of the Galaxy's wingers are in the top 85 MLS players for shot or goal-creating actions per 90 minutes. That's according to FB Ref. Not in the top 85. Not Efra Alvarez, not Tyler Boyd, not Memo Rodriguez, not Douglas Costa. It's, It's brutal for the Galaxy right now. Another team that needs a winger, Austin FC. Emi Rigoni has not really looked like a DP attacker in MLS. Diego Fagundes was phenomenal last year, but has taken a giant step back. His chance creation numbers have cratered this year, according to American Soccer Analysis. And as a result, Sebastian Driussi, who just got signed to a fat new contract over the offseason, his production has dropped a bunch as well. His expected goals per game have basically been cut in half this year in Austin, from 0.44 last year to 0.22 That's not a good enough number for a player who's expected to be in the Golden Boot race. The last team I'll get into on this show, the rest will be over on the site, is St. Louis. I think they need a wide player. Both of their DPs in Jao Klaus and Edward Loven have hit so far, especially Loven. They look like top-end talents in the spine for St. Louis. Now that they've locked in those players, they have an open DP spot that Luch van and Steel can go out and use, they can afford to look to the wings, right? Maybe it's trying to find somebody, not a DP right back, but maybe somebody to, to compete or replace Jake Nowinski, who has been fine, but not especially good this year. Maybe it's finding a really, really strong and creative wide midfielder. You can put on the right side and have Jared Stroud on the left side. I think over a 34-game season, Jao Klaus is going to need some attacking help from the wings, They have gotten some this year, but there's certainly room for more there with the player profiles they have. 
St. Louis should be looking for a wide player to really enforce the hot start they've had. If you want to read more about St. Louis or the rest of MLS and and where these teams should be looking, head over to backheel.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, head over to backheel.com for more American soccer coverage. You can leave us a review here. You can go subscribe over there and support independent American soccer media. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Backheel Show. We'll be back again next week. Oh, 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 oh,